morning, church. Man, I've been moved today. Have you been moved? I really was moved by Paloma's uh, testimony. You know, I love it when we're real in church. Don't you love that? You know, uh, church shouldn't be a place where we come and gloss over the struggles and challenges we have. Church should be a place where we are real with each other and we're real with God so that through each other and through God, we may receive healing. And what really makes me emotional about uh, Paloma's testimony, especially about the loss of her father and her journey back to the arms of Jesus, is that I know that there's people here in our congregation who've also lost loved ones. I know that there's people here who have lost loved ones at too young of an age. And what really is incredible to me is that after so much loss and so much pain, I see you week after week coming to this church and just praising God and worshiping God and just being filled by his peace and grace. God is so great. God is so amazing. Is it okay if I talk a little bit about Jesus today? I'm not going to get too deep with the short amount of time we have, but I just want to share a little bit about Jesus. And if you came and that's all you get, then that's all that you need. Friends, let me tell you as we begin a message called A Dead Dog's Love. Following Jesus is not going to make you wealthy. Do you know that? Following Jesus does not guarantee that you're going to be healthy. Because the message of the gospel and scriptures is not that in following Jesus Christ, everything is going to go right for you. The message of scriptures is that he is enough no matter what happens. That's the message of the gospel, that Jesus is enough. He is enough. He is enough. All right, amen. Have a good day. (laughs) That should be enough, that Jesus is enough. Friends, we pursue healing And maybe we get it, and maybe we don't, but he's enough if we don't receive that healing. The Bible message is that Jesus is sufficient because he can transcend even the most terrible circumstances. He is enough. One of my favorite songs kind of puts all these thoughts in my head into words, and the lyrics go like this. When the weight of the world begins to fall, on the name of Jesus I will call. For I know my God is in control and his purpose is unshakable. As I walk into the days to come, I will not forget what you have done. For you have supplied my every need and your presence is enough for me. Doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be in your promises to me. Now I'm casting out all fear, for your love has set me free. My hope will always be and your promises to me, and it finishes with a powerful chorus, you will always be more than enough for me. You will always be more than enough for me. Nothing's going to stop the plans you've made. Nothing's going to take your love away. You will always be more than enough for me. Is Jesus more than enough for you? Is he number one in your life? Let's open to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16 and 18. We're going to be using our Bible today, and uh, I'm not going to bail you out by putting it up on the screen on PowerPoint. And if uh, 
If you didn't bring your Bible, just raise your hand in shame. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. If you didn't bring your Bible, just turn to a person next to you who has a Bible. And, and, and I, I assure you they'll share with you, I think. Uh, 1 Corinthians, I mean, 1 Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 18. When you're there, say amen, please. It says there, speaking about the one who is enough, it says there, for by all things, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist What's this verse trying to tell us? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But listen to this. The whole universe, everything that exists could be about him. Everything that is sustained is about him. But then it says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, that in all things, he may have preeminence. And the question that we have this morning is, is he preeminent in your life? Is he the most important person in your life, most important thing? Because never forget that the goal, the end of Christianity is not what Jesus can give you. The goal, the end is Jesus himself. He is the one thing you need. He is enough. And if you miss out on that one thing, then you've missed out on everything. Have you ever gone on a trip and got into your destination and realized that you've, you have packed everything except the one most important thing that you need? Has that ever happened to you before? Maybe you've uh, gotten on a plane on a long flight and, and you've, uh, you need your phone and you need your computer to work and all of a sudden you realize that you forgot your charger. Isn't that terrible when you forget your charger? We've all experienced that. Or maybe you went camping out in Michigan and you went out in the Michigan woods, and to prepare for that camping trip, you, you got all your tents, you got your sleeping bag, you got your food, and you hiked up somewhere, and you set everything up, and then you look for the one thing. What's the one thing when you go camping in Michigan? Mosquito repellent, and you forgot it. And you could have everything else, but if you don't have that, you would have forgotten the most important thing. Or, or maybe you're on a date. Maybe you're single and you're on a date. You have everything. You've got a new haircut. You have a nice shirt, nice pants that you washed and ironed, no wrinkles. And you've even cleaned your car. You know, you vacuumed it, put some air freshener there. And you go out with uh, a young lady and uh, you have great conversation. The date goes wonderful. You have everything. But then the bill comes and you reach in your back pocket. And the one thing you need is not what? It's not there. Date is over, right? No second date for you. So there is one thing. You could have everything. But if you're missing the one thing, you have nothing. There was a little, there was a family who had a little girl by the name of Charlie whose parents had planned a trip overseas to see great grandma. Grandma was elderly and fragile. Everyone knew that it was probably the last time that they would get to see great grandma. And little Charlie, well, she was super excited to not only go on a trip and a plane, but to see her great grandma. 
Now, Charlie was constantly asking for months, as little kids do. Is it today the day? Today, no, it's like six months from now, you know. Today, no, it's three months. And she would constantly be excited and ask when finally the day came where they were to go see great-grandma overseas. So they arrive to the airport, and the parents walk up to the counter to get their boarding passes and check in. And they give their passports and the passport of Charlie. When all of a sudden, the lady looks at the father and says, I don't know how to tell you this, sir, but your daughter's passport is expired. And the father looks at the mother and says, that's impossible because that's my wife's job. And then the, the wife looks and says, that's impossible. That's the husband's job to take care of those details. And they go back and forth, and then they beg the TSA lady, please, is there, is there any way, just make a one exception. Do they make exceptions? No. no, they don't make exceptions, do they? So the father said to the mother, listen, you go ahead and visit great-grandma. It might be the last time you see her. I'll stay back with Charlie. I'll break the news to her. He got down on his knees, Charlie, with her backpack, all her stuff. He said, honey, I have bad news and good news. He said, I don't know how to explain it that you'll understand, but, but, we, but your passport's expired. And, and what that means is that you can't go on the trip and you can't see grandma anymore. But I'm going to stay with you and we're going to stop by the ice cream store and, and the toy store and anything you need, I'll, I'll get you trying to help her forget. A little girl, tears began to swell, little lip began to quiver, and she said, it's okay, Daddy, it's okay. And as they were walking out of the airport, the father holding his hands, the hands of Charlie, he thought in his mind, we had everything. We packed everything. We prepared everything. We had, Charlie had, had all the clothes, all the toys, everything to go on this trip. But because of one line on one passport, the trip was canceled. And it's the same with our world. People are accumulating everything they could possibly need. They're searching high and low, getting all this stuff, but they're missing the one thing they need for the trip to kingdom and eternal life, and that's Jesus Christ. The one thing. So I don't know about you, friends, but I'm happy to miss out on many things as long as I have the one thing I need, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is enough. And I want to encourage a few people today. If you're here and you don't have much in this world, maybe you don't have the career you want, maybe you don't have the job you want, maybe you don't have the relationship that you want or the house you want or the car you want or the money to travel where you want, maybe you don't have as many friends as you want and you look around your life and all you have is Jesus, I want to encourage you to remember that Jesus plus nothing is better than everything minus him. Jesus plus nothing is better than everything minus him because Jesus is enough. Because he is the end, he is the prize, he is the goal. It's not what he can give you, it's himself who is what we need. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 10, kind of also echoes this sentiment from Paul here. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, I guess less people than I thought have their Bible this morning. I said 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. When you're there, say amen. amen. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, describing themselves who are doing ministry, Paul says that we are unknown yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As chastened or beaten, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. Because Jesus plus nothing is better than everything without him. Have you discovered that Jesus is enough? Because listen to this, listen to this. Because until Jesus is enough for you, no person or thing ever will be. Until Jesus is enough for you, no person or thing ever will be. And I think that's what Paloma said today, right? She sought it everywhere, but it was only through Jesus that she found enough. I want to just dive in one story and end today. A story of the life of one person in the Bible, an Old Testament character who tells us this very fact that the king is enough for him. Turn with me to a story that maybe you haven't read in a while, the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. 2 Samuel verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. And we have a Bible character there that maybe you have not heard in the past, or maybe you've had trouble pronouncing, Mephibosheth. Can you guys say that? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. All right. Can you say that three times quickly? Ready? Mephibosheth. 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 All right, your turn. I did it alone. Ready? Go. Man, imagine someone walked in here right now. They're speaking in tongues here or something. I don't know. Mercy, what's going on? This church has gone off the deep end, right? Mephibosheth. The story we want to pick up is in chapter 9, verses 1. And uh, this is what it says. Are you there? Amen. It says, Now David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now this statement of itself was a great statement of grace and mercy and kindness. Because you remember the story and history between Saul and David. Did they have a good relationship or a bad relationship? Remember David was anointed king while Saul was still king. And Saul was determined to kill David. He chased him in the wilderness, he chased them in the mountains, he chased them in the cities, he chased them in the caves, seeking to destroy and kill this young, anointed, new king to come. Now, Saul, who hated David so much, had a son who was supposed to be the next in line to be king. His name was Jonathan. Now, Jonathan, in worldly terms, should have also hated David because David was the one gunning for his position, right? But Jonathan became best friends with David. 
to the shargin and to the anger of his father. And the Bible tells us that this relationship was bad until one day uh, Saul and his son Jonathan were fighting the Philistines and they fell in battle. They both died at the same time. So then David was brought to the capital and they placed him as king. But what happened was that the family of Saul, his other sons, decided that they weren't happy with that, and they went to war with David. So there's a bad blood. There's bad history between these families. Now, David never hurt Saul. He could have. He never hurt Jonathan. And even the sons of Saul who went to war with him after he became king, David didn't kill them. It was their own men that turned against them. But David always remembered his best friend, Jonathan. And he wanted to do something for Jonathan through his family. So he asked, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Verse 2 says, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Remember that name. He's going to come back later in the story, okay? Now Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then king, the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Siba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed he is in the house of Mashir the son of Amiel in Lodebar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mashir, the son of Meol, from Lodabar. So David knew that he wanted to show kindness to Mephibosheth, but no one else knew that. Ziba didn't know that. Mephibosheth didn't know that. I mean, everybody could have maybe assumed that David just was trying to get rid of the last person who could possibly try to take his place on the throne. And so Mephibosheth was a person who was living in exile. He had lost all the money from his family. He had no position in the kingdom. He was poor. He was alone. His family had died. He wasn't even with his mother and father. He didn't grow up with them. And worst of all, the Bible tells us now that he was lame. He couldn't even walk. I mean, this was a nobody. This one was a person that was, had lost everything. And the Bible tells us, now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, understanding the circumstances, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And listen to what he does. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. He went from having nothing to having so much. He went from being so poor to becoming so rich. He went from being rejected to being accepted now at the king's table. Wow, what a change of circumstances. And what is the response of Mephibosheth in verse 8? Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog 
as I. How did Mephibosheth see himself? As a dead dog. Have you seen a dead dog before? Hmm? I grew up in, uh, I mean, I, I did ministry in Guam. And Guam is not like, uh, you know, this area in Michigan where you don't see animals. I mean, there's people who take, are in charge of getting stray animals off the road. I mean, you walk in Guam and there's dogs roaming the streets all over the place. And they're homeless dogs. They don't have any owners. They're just packs of dogs or lone dogs. And it's sad because many of them are starving. And, and sometimes I come across these dogs and, and uh, they are so skinny. You could see, you know, their ribs, they're, met, they're emaciated their skin is falling off. They have all kinds of diseases. They're, they're half dead. Some of them lie down when they're about to die just on the road. And it's the most tragic, sad thing. And the worst part is that there's so many of them that the people of Guam kind of got kind of hard-hearted to them. And they'll see all these dead dogs or dying dogs and they'll just walk by like nothing. In Mephibosheth, maybe in their time, there was a lot of dead dogs or starving dogs around the area. And he said to David, how can you do that for me? Why would you do that for me? I'm like a dead dog. You pass by the side of the road. I am nothing. I am nothing. He went from having nothing to receiving everything. But that's not the point of the story. Continue reading. And it says in verse 9, and the king called to Ziba. Saul's servant and said to him, I have given to, to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and shall bring the harvest that your master's sons may have food to eat. So Ziba, you and all your family have to work all this new land for Mephibosheth because he's lame and he doesn't have any family himself. So you got to take care of this stuff. But what's Mephibosheth going to do? But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. I want to end with verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in his both his feet. Isn't that a beautiful story, right? I mean, the story could end there, right? And I could have a lot of applications, you know? You went from nothing when Jesus Christ found you in sin and lost. You were like a dead dog. But Christ, through his grace, has picked you up and given you his possessions. And not only that, but he has allowed you to sit at the king's table. And that's a beautiful story. And we could preach sermons on that. And it's a wonderful thing. But the story doesn't end here. It takes kind of a... A, a bad turn. Mephibosheth's story does not end here. It ends in a different way. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 24. 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 24. I love it hearing those Bibles turn. 2 Samuel chapter what? 19 verse 24. Now let me give you a little background. This is after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is when things had gone bad for him and he had a son by the name of Absalom who decided to rebel against him, who decided to turn against him. And he 
gathered a great army and they're heading to Jerusalem to attack his own father, to kill his father, to overthrow the kingdom. And David has to flee out of Jerusalem with his army and with his people. And everyone who is for David is supposed to also leave the city and go with David, right? But when David leaves, Mephibosheth wants to leave with David. But he is lame in his feet. So he goes to Ziba, who is his servant, and he asks him, saddle up my donkey. Let's go after David. But you know what Ziba does? Ziba leaves him in Jerusalem. And Ziba goes to David. And he tells David, Mephibosheth, the one dead dog that you pulled out of the gutter and gave him everything, guess what? He stayed in Jerusalem. In other words, he's a traitor. And you know what David says to Ziba? Everything I gave Mephibosheth, I now give to, to you. What a terrible guy, right? So let's pick up the story in verse 19, verse 24. When David is now returning to Jerusalem, Absalom has died. He's won the battle. He's coming to reclaim what was trying to be taken from him. And he runs into Mephibosheth, who he thinks is a traitor. The Bible tells us, now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. In other words, he has lied about me. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So the king was put in a difficult position because he's got so many other things to take care of, right? And all of a sudden he has to make a judgment. What, do I believe Ziba? Do I believe Mephibosheth? And so David quickly makes a decision just to move on to the next thing. And the Bible tells us, that he said to Mephibosheth, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. So here Ziba lied about him. David doesn't know who to believe. So to be as fair as he possibly could, David says, All right, all right, you guys just split all the land between yourselves. But this is what, this is what really moved me and touched me. The response of Mephibosheth to this bad turn of events for him. Is Jesus enough for you? Is the king enough for you? What does he answer after this decree? Then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather let him take it, let him take it all. 
And as much as my Lord the King has come back in peace to his own house. Do you get that? He went from being a dead dog that had nothing. And the king gave him everything. Land, possessions, probably animals, money, clothes. But the greatest thing that King David gave to Mephibosheth is that he allowed him to sit with him on a daily basis and hang out with him and be with him. And Mephibosheth went to praising God for receiving back all his possessions. But after spending time with David, he found that the greatest gift he got was the time in the presence of the king. So when he now was in danger of losing everything, he said, I don't care. Take everything as long as you, king, are back and I'm in your presence. Jesus is enough. The king is enough. Because if you have Jesus and nothing, you have more than if you have everything without the king. And that's a dead dog's love. Let me be like Mephibosheth, willing to lose everything. As long as I have you, I am satisfied. Because Jesus is enough. There's a sad story that came out in Texas this past week, they were digging to build a new school, and they found a burial site with 95 African Americans who had been forced into slavery after slavery had been abolished in this country. So after the Emancipation Proclamation, after the war, the Civil War, after all that had happened, these 95 men from ages 14 to 70, were forced into labor in Texas. When slavery was illegal, they were still slaves in this country. And as they studied their bones, fragments, they saw that these men had been malnourished, that they had been worked severely. And here they were, dead and forgotten until they found this burial site. And I think about their experience, and I think about the experience of, of the slaves in this country who had lost everything, their dignity, their families, their possessions, they had lost everything. And amidst that loss, they wrote some of the most beautiful songs of their experience with Jesus. My favorite one is the song that we sing. In the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise. Give me what? Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me? When I am alone. When I am alone. When I am alone, give me Jesus. Very simple. When I come to die, when I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. And it ends with these powerful words. And I want you to imagine a slave who has worked all day, has not been fed, has been beaten, has, will never get paid, has lost his dignity, has lost everything in this world. 
pen these words. You can have all this world. You can have all this world. You can have all this world. But give me Jesus. Is Jesus enough for you? Because Jesus is the one who not only knows what we need, but is what we need as well. And so this morning, I don't want anybody to leave without knowing that no matter what you're going through in your life or what loss you have experienced, Jesus is enough. But if you don't have Jesus, what despair, what loss. Don't leave without Jesus this morning, friends. Maybe you've been walking away from Jesus. Maybe you've been neglecting Jesus. Maybe you've sinned against Jesus. And that's why one day out of the week, the seventh day of the week, God said, stop it all. Stop work. Stop homework. Stop all the things you do. And see if you still have Jesus. Because he's the one thing you need. You can have everything else, but if you don't have him, you have nothing. Is there one person today who wants to say, I want Jesus because I've never accepted him through baptism in my life before. I've never been baptized before. I've never had Jesus as my all. I never dedicated my life and follow him completely. Is there another person who want to give you another chance to make that commitment this morning? Would you raise your hand? That's you. We had one already do that this morning. God bless you. He's your everything. He's enough for you. Is there someone else who also wants to join them in that path to make Jesus your all in all? Would you raise your hand? Amen, brother. Amen. How many of you this week have felt, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, that you might have slipped a little bit? You might have slipped a little bit. And this past year, this past month, maybe things have happened. Maybe like Mephibosheth, you've lost a lot. But you today want to say, you could take it all, but give me Jesus. Would you raise your hand if that's your heart's call this morning? Amen. Let us sing. Let us sing that song.